Welcome back to the show. I'm B. Dougie, and we're about to learn the secret sauce. Frost, thanks for so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, we've known each other at least a couple months now. <laughs> yeah, I reached out to you to be on Jamstack Radio. Uh, we had a great conversation about Sokka Dev, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but I wanted to like set the listener up uh, with who you are and how did you get here. Sure. Uh, so let's see. How far back should I go? Um, I, I don't know. I've, you, as far as you would like. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably most people will, will uh, be interested in kind of when I started in open source. Yeah. Um, so uh, actually, I'll go, I'll go a little far, farther back than that. So I, I, I did a... Um, uh, a startup company uh, out of college that was trying to do uh, kind of a next generation content delivery network. Uh, it was called, Pe- yeah, it's kind of random, right? Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, the idea was to turn everyone's browsers into a peer to peer network and uh, kind of offload the content hosting to like whoever last viewed the content. Ah, that's very blockchain of you. Yeah, I know, right? I was like ahead <laughs> of the crypto craze before it was cool. Uh, so we got, um, we, we, we got acquired by Yahoo uh, after um, working on it for like about eight months. It was basically... Uh, out of college? Uh, right after college, yeah. Right after college, yeah. Um, we kind of didn't know what we were doing business-wise, and so it was like a good outcome. It was like basically hired us effectively to go work, yeah. work there. And they didn't end up using the tech. And so um, I, I ended up leaving after a year, and I decided to build an open-source version of that tech. Uh, and then that turned into WebTorrent, which was my first open-source project. So I just kind of got bummed out that they didn't want to use it. And I figured, you know, well, the world should see this. And I feel like I'm uniquely positioned here to, like, I, I understand how WebRTC works. Not yeah. that many people are, are really looking at this right now. Yeah. And, and, like, it seems like it would be cool. And so What year was that? It was in, uh, so the company, we sold it in 20, end of th- 2013. And okay. then uh, I started working on WebTorrent in, like, 2014, 2015. Yeah, and WebTorrent, like, Folks might have used it. Like, what? Mm-hmm. What is WebTorrent? Yeah, WebTorrent is a JavaScript library that lets you do BitTorrent, uh, and you can run it in a browser or, you know, in Node.js. And what's cool about doing it in a browser is it's the first time that you've been able to actually do torrents in a browser. So you can pop in a, you know, a magnet link or a torrent file. That might be ringing some bells for like people. You yeah, know, it uh, is for me. That's <laughs> that's college for me. Yeah, a lot of people. I don't know how many people use torrents. Uh, actually, torrents are still pretty popular. Honestly, yeah. they're pretty. They're actually like more popular than a lot of the new crypto peer-to-peer networks. Like there's just millions, tens of millions of, of people online at any given time torrenting stuff. But yeah, so WebTorrent is, it's, it's a library and you can also download a desktop app and you can use WebTorrent that way um, if you want to do like traditional torrenting. Um, yeah. And it also talks to the browsers and you get these kind of this big peer-to-peer network full of, you know, full of just browsers and, 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 and native apps all talking to each other using WebRTC. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Is that still around? Yeah, it's still around. Yeah, it's still working on it. Uh, mostly uh, other maintainers have kind of picked it up and, uh, and, and are doing most of the work these days. Um, and WebTorrent also spawned a ton of other open source projects as well, like dependencies of it and just other, other open source too. Okay. Yeah, cool. So how did you, like, did you decide to go work on something else and you're like, hey, anybody who wants to take it over? please? <laughs> well, I've always been interested in getting more people involved. It's kind of the like Node.js way, I feel like. Yeah. You know, um, I was really inspired by um, Rod Vag's, um, like open open source declaration that he that he wrote a while ago. And I think a lot of the Node 
projects basically work this way, where like if someone shows up and they're doing good work, they're sending good pull requests, they're being a useful member of the community, then it just seems right to basically give them commit access yeah. and give them true ownership over the project and to treat it like a wiki where really anyone can can kind of participate. That's kind of how, that's like the beauty of open source, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of how I've always ran um, WebTorrent and all the projects I've worked on. And good people found their way to it and stepped up. And so... You know, they kind of ended up, uh, you know, just you know, helping out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great because like it sounds like you had a bit of a community and folks who were interested. Like what tor- like torrent, torrents, torrents, torrents in general were very extremely popular. Like mm-hmm. in my college days, even after college, in like in order to like share files, like legit files, not legit files. Like you know, it's just a place that you could share stuff and. It's interesting that like sometimes blockchain can take away a bit of that history because mm-hmm. like I know you mentioned Michael Rogers. Uh, I don't know if it's before we actually hit record or not, but um, like is, I don't know if he's still working on the IPFS stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like I'm actually really excited about that stuff. When he, even like when he first started it, and still because they're making easy for fuck. <laughs> I don't know what I was trying to say. Uh, they're making it easier for folks to. Uh, <laughs> we'll take a breath. <laughs> I stopped at the wrong F word. <laughs> Anyway, wow. You guys got to throw in bloopers. That would be a great one. <laughs> yeah, we, we did have an F-bomb dropped in the last episode. And honestly, like, if we want to monetize this thing, uh, which I don't know if we really need to, uh, because seed funding, thank mm-hmm. you very much. <laughs> I'm hoping we have, we'll close a seed round, but anyway, nice. by the time this thing launches. But if it doesn't, this episode was sponsored by... <laughs> And then we'll enter it right there. Like a, we'll have a voiceover. All right. So what was I trying to say? Anyway. Um, you were saying that you were in, like inspired by or like you're interested in what Michael Rogers is doing. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's he has made it, blockchain for me is it's too complicated when people try to explain it. But like with IPFS, like they actually have like the versioning that comes from Git. Uh, so like I can put my stuff on GitHub. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a version because it's my branch or I can have multiple branches in IPFS. You have something very similar. But then they've also have the torrent, like, elements as well. And honestly, I might not. I, I looked into it quite a bit last summer, so I might be speaking this. I'm not selling IPFS, so I don't know if I got it right. But I'm inspired by the technology. I'm inspired by people who also make it easier for people to understand technologies through frameworks or through wikis or just through open source. Because I think that knowledge needs to be transferred, mm-hmm. just as if you transferred web torrent to whoever is maintaining it today. Like it, it lives on, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't live on. And we all, we, we I guess, say a prayer or like uh, a, a hymn or something like that, and say goodbye to that open source project and archive it. But I guess what I'm getting at is like it's admirable of like you putting your stuff out there, and even like leaving Yahoo to go mm-hmm. do that again. Yeah, yeah, and I did it full time. I I decided I wanted to, you know, frankly, a year of of working in the corporate world was like too much for me. <laughs> I wanted to go off on my own. Yeah, was that right before Yahoo like went under, or right around the time? It was when Marissa Meyer was the CEO, and she was trying to do a turnaround of the company. Yeah, she had a hard job ahead of her. Like it was, you know, um, just a lot of things about uh, the company at that time were in not in good shape, and so she was she was actually going on an acquisition spree that year, and yeah. I think acquiring like thirty. I remember that. They, I think it might have grabbed like Tumblr at that time, <laughs> and yeah, uh, they acquire Flickr. Or they already had them. I think they already had them but but yeah they were they were going on a spree and and it was um it was an interesting time to be there for sure yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh and i'm happy i mean WebTorrent came out of it and then i just i kept working on open source basically full time from 2015 until until i went back to get my master's in 2018 
Oh, 20th at, at Stanford. It's, yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. Wow. So, was your undergrad in Stanford? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. So, uh, I saw Stanford in the bio. Actually, I think you, I saw you read me uh, story on GitHub, uh-huh. and you were wearing a Stanford hoodie. Uh-huh. And like, <laughs> I, I think I don't know why I knew you went to Stanford, but anyway, it's it's you could like roll the dice and like might you might guess right <laughs> in the Bay Area for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, full time open source. Yeah. Like, how did you sustain yourself? So living besides ramen, <laughs> living frugally, right? Yeah. That's one big one. Um, and I, I had worked on some websites uh, in um, high school and college, and uh, just threw up some good old fashioned Google AdSense on those. And nice. so I was making a little bit of money here and there from from those. Um, and for the most part, I don't know. I just I was like, you know, if, if you're if you're if you're like single and you're like young and you're just like you know. Uh, willing to live frugally, you can actually go pretty far, um, on, on that. Um, and, and like getting invited to conferences, they pay for your flight, they pay for your hotel, right? So you can actually yeah. actually have a pretty interesting life, see the world, right. Yeah. Uh, on someone else's dime. And some of my friends at the time were, you know, like other early kind of no, no JS people like Substack, you know, James Halliday, yeah. Dominic Tarr. Um, these people were, they were, um, you know, just do kind of full-time conference goers at the time. And I was kind of inspired by that. Like when they wanted to get to one part of the world, they would just like be like, Oh, is there a conference over there? Maybe I can get a flight over there. And then they would pick their conferences that they wanted to go and talk about based off of where they were trying to head in the world. Yeah. This is a thing. (laughs) Yeah. We actually, uh, so before when I first joined GitHub, they were like shutting down this like benefit that they had where if your talk was accepted, we would pay for your travel Mm -hmm. and your room and board and everything. Uh, food and everything like that. So there's people just applying constantly. Yeah. So we had like full time <laughs> employees who would be on the road indefinitely because mm-hmm. like you just figure it out. Like if you're in Thailand or if you're in Hong Kong, like hop over to Thailand, wait for another conference, mm-hmm. and like you could sort of sustain yourself. And uh, there were quite a few folks who pre Microsoft acquisition had to like come back stateside to figure out how stocks work. So because like yeah, we got to be in the country to sign papers. Mm-hmm. It, it was it's pretty fun. It was a great time in my life, and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Even though I know I could have had a tech job and could have been making a lot of money and you know uh, building up my savings instead of draining it, but you know it was it was fun, and um, I got to get like the word about WebTorrent out there. I got to work on open source and learn how to be a better programmer. I think I wasn't honestly that good before I, you know, focused on. I mean, there's also like besides just the coding part of it, there's like yeah dealing with other people in the community, like dealing with like people who are upset at you, yelling at you on GitHub issues and figuring out how to turn that into a positive interaction, like yeah. how to, how to like work with people who aren't, they're not like working for you in any way. So like you have to yeah. basically, uh, you know, and they can do whatever they want. Right. And so yeah. like, how do you, how do you all push in the same direction when, when everyone is just coming at it yeah. from their own perspective and, and, and there's, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's a lot of like leadership things I learned from that, that I didn't realize were actually leadership things <laughs> until later. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely, uh, was, was pretty awesome and, uh, and got to see the world and, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's time. one way to like, like people go get an MBA, like mm-hmm. you went and got your graduate degree as well. And like you learn all these practices and like me, I, I have a background, I went and got my MBA as well and, uh, have a background in, in sales outside of college. Cause I got a finance degree, could not get a job doing finance in 2008. So I did tech sales. Uh, but I read a bunch of books on entrepreneurship and a bunch of books about like sales as well. And I learned, I learned those skill sets, but I never put them in practice because I was just like a, you know, lower on the rung totem pole person. But what I found out really quickly is like being at a startup and, or working in community and stuff like that, all that stuff is very valuable and useful. And like, you know how to like take a 
bad customer interaction and turn into a positive case study. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess no one's surprised that open source, like there's bad, <laughs> bad interactions or people demanding of your time. Mm -hmm. So like, what, what are your, what are your tips and tricks are like folks who are demanding of your time? How do you sort of organize your energy? Well, I think, um, I, I mean, it, it's hard, it's hard to, um, it's hard to, to do this, I think, for, yeah. for some people. But I think that the best thing, best advice is, you know, don't take anything personally um, and and develop a thick skin. Um, yeah. Really, in life, the only thing you can control is really how you react to things. That's the only thing that's in your control. How do you how how will you interpret this interaction? How what will you do going forward uh, after this interaction? And so I think. Um, you know, even though it's hard at first, I think just finding ways to develop that. I think um, trying not to care what other people think as much, and just be, being comfortable with someone being unhappy with you, um, and just focus on kind of the core of what they're trying to say. So if they're unhappy, um, there's usually like some actually reasonable request buried in there somewhere that you can get to, and then yeah. try to address that and and uh, just like kill them with kindness. Basically, just pretend like you didn't pretend like nothing bad happened or that they didn't say anything rude and just kind of, you know, try to, try to, um, turn on them and they'll often, often be feel, feel bad and like, you know, apologize yeah. on their own. <laughs> well, I mean, there's been a couple issues where like, I mean, I, I working at a large company like GitHub, you get a lot of pushback and feedback and stuff like that. So I spent doing the past four, year, four years doing DevRel at GitHub mm -hmm. and GitHub's gone through so many different iterations and changes and PR things uh, and like people will hit me up directly and be like, oh, did you see this thing that GitHub did? And I was like, yeah, I work here. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you like fix it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, technically, and there was like a, a recent instance where, um, so HTTP Pi, uh, I never said that out loud. HTTP Pi, how would you say that? Um, they privated the repo, lost all their stars. Yeah. And I knew this before even it was public because they reached out to us <laughs> and mm -hmm. we, we provide opportunity for like how to how to remedy the situation, like ultimately it wasn't what they need what they wanted from us, and we couldn't give them what they wanted. Um, but I had tons of people reach out to me recently because of that blog post. And at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, yeah, we, we definitely talked to them, and I think what they have now, twenty five thousand stars, um, it's good. They just continue to like. That's exactly what they should be doing is getting out there and telling the story because mm -hmm. then people know the project and they'll start. If, if stars is a good metric for their growth or whatever, then they'll do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, like stars is not a good metric for <laughs> community and growth. But, you know, people will figure this out. But I guess, and honestly, I don't know how much of that I'm going to keep in. This <laughs> is very specific. It's very specific to them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, I want to actually fast forward because I want to I wanted to get to the point where NPM fun is like the first time I ever knew who you were. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I don't know if I'm complaining a couple of different things into the same thing that I think it is. But, like, basically a banner whenever you install it says hey donate to this project like can you explain like yeah, what yeah. that is sure so in around 2017 uh time frame i started realizing you know hey i shouldn't be okay maybe zoom, let me start over actually here's here's a better way to explain it so the the phases of, of the progression of an open of being an open source maintainer is yeah. you start off you know being totally um, excited at first, you know, uh, that anyone yes. even cares about your project, right? One person opens an issue and you're like, oh my God, someone's <laughs> using it, right? And you're so happy. Yes. And then, uh, and then, you know, more people start using it. it. It only gets better, right? And you think the more people that use it, the better it's going to be, right? And, yeah. and it's true. It's very, very true for a while. And then at some point, what at least what happened to me was I was getting enough GitHub issues on the different projects I was maintaining that it started to become 
a, a real full-time job. I mean, every morning I'd wake up and I'd, there'd be 10 or 15 new issues and I'd say, okay, I guess this is what I'm working on today, right? And part of that is like, I chose to, I chose to <laughs> treat it as a to-do list that anyone could add stuff to, yeah. which I didn't necessarily need to do. Yeah, probably right? not the best way to approach <laughs> yeah. open source, yeah, but. Definitely, uh, and I think at some point, everyone gets to a point where they realize that's, that, that open issues are okay. It's okay to ignore issues. It's okay to, to just say, yeah, you know, the, this feature request doesn't help me right now, so feel free to send a PR. It's not, you know, something I'm going to go and spend my weekend on right now, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so eventually, um, you know, um, I don't know, my relationship with open source changed, I guess. And in 2017, I decided, you know, I'd like to do this full time, but I do want some way to sustain myself. I do want some way to fund this work. And I, and I, and I look at, you know, some of the people opening these issues are people who have full-time jobs. They're working at tech companies making hundreds of Ks per year. And <laughs> yeah. they're asking me like an unpaid volunteer. Yeah, uh, working off conference budgets. Working off conference <laughs> budgets and my savings, right, to go and work on these issues. And, and you know, like I said, at first that was like awesome. I was like, oh, cool. Like someone at Google is like using my code, right? But yeah. then afterwards you're like, wait a minute, someone at Google is using my code and they're asking me to, to like build features for them, right? And like, why don't they do that, you know? Um, so, yeah, so then, you know, I, I started thinking about how to do this and uh, tried a few things. So I think I was, I wasn't the first, but I was one, I was pretty early on Patreon. I decided to try Patreon as a way to fund, fund yeah. my work. Were um, you like after Evanu? Uh, yeah, I think I was after Evan and, and uh, I don't remember Sindra's story. We were all joining around the same time. I yeah. think it was just kind of, we became a trend where people were joining Patreon and, and, and I was sending people stickers if they would donate $10 a month. Uh, WebTorrent or standard JS stickers, and I, I was literally every month I was, you know, looking at envelopes and like sending like tons of these oh, off man, that's, to people. That's, I tried that once, and <laughs> I think six people had got stickers for me, and I was like, ah, I'm gonna shut this down. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of work. It was definitely a lot of work, uh, and um, but it was fun. I mean, you know, some of them were in you know foreign countries, and I had to put a lot of stamps on those envelopes, and it was cool. Yeah. You know, it felt it felt like it was. It was yeah, you know, it was like very punk rock. Like under yeah. underground, people are paying you money for the thing they're using. Yeah. And like they know, you know, and mm -hmm. like there's a crew. Yeah. And I even made like limited edition ones that you could only get if you'd sponsored and, and I wouldn't give those ones out at conferences, right? That kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. There was a little. My, my wheels are turning now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was good. But the thing what I re realized was, um, you know, that, that approach of asking other developers and other open source maintainers to fund you is weird because you're, you're really, <laughs> It's companies that are getting the benefit from the open source and to ask another open source developer. A lot, a lot of the open source developers were sponsoring each other on Patreon. Yeah. And so all they were doing was basically giving Patreon the 5% fee. Uh, yeah. like, it's like if I donate $10 to the one maintainer, they would donate $10 back and we're just effectively like, like doing, yeah. accomplishing nothing except showing kind of emotional yeah, support. Patreon has 10%. Yeah. Or yeah. it's 10%. You're right. That's yeah, even yeah. more. So like, you know, I did that for a while, um, and then I and then I realized, okay, companies is actually the way to go, right? Companies, you know, they can actually afford this. And so then I started talking to companies uh, who have marketing budgets for this yeah. kind of thing, and getting them to become sponsors and putting their logo on the on the different project readmes. And um, and then during around that time frame, I uh, had an idea, and this is the funding thing you you asked yeah. about, which is, you know, to to really, okay, so here, okay, let me, maybe, before I say it, because I don't want people to react. Uh, I, wanna, I, wanna I mean, this is in the past, but yeah, go, yeah. go ahead, set yourself up, so. Sure, I want to I give people the context, right? So yeah. my, the context is, like, I was looking for, not just to solve my own problem, but to actually, I was thinking about how to solve this at, like, the ecosystem level, right? Because one problem with, like, so the way I was doing my funding was I was basically going on Twitter and just asking people to donate. That requires you to have a Twitter presence, to be comfortable yeah 
like putting yourself out there to be comfortable really asking people it's almost like a, like it's a marketing thing right i mean yeah you, you do switch from you're you're doing pr for your project like less you're probably doing less writing code if you're mm-hmm. now doing pr and are you were you dming or were you publicly well i mean it wasn't that much time but it was like you know a little bit of, of you, you have to feel comfortable basically saying hey everybody like I'm asking for you for donations, and it's really weird the first time you do it. And uh, a lot of people, Wikipedia, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not comfortable to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really awkward. And and so like I, I was concerned was like I had friends who wanted to make money from open source and to do it as a full time job and to, or, or to at least you know get compensated in some way for the effort they're putting in, and they weren't willing to do these marketing things. Or if they did, they just for whatever reason they didn't have the same following, and so they just struggled. And so you know, and then then what I realized what was going on was. Some open source projects have a very heavy kind of developer mind share because, you know, think about something like React or actually maybe even a better example is something like, um, you know, a component library, right? Yeah. A UI library where you go to the docs all day. You're spending hours with that tab yeah, open. Yeah, like Tailwind or yeah, Chakra. Chakra, yeah. yeah. You're, on, you're on that page like all day looking yeah. at documentation. And so those projects are top of mind. And if they put an ad on their website or if they ask you, you know, for support in some way, they will be able to reach people and make yeah. an appeal. Whereas and lot, I just want to say Tailwind makes a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. Aren't they a company now or something? I think they're a full on, but they're a bootstrap yeah. company. But yeah, they are. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I, I was like, okay, so I can kind of do this because I started WebTorrent and I had started StandardJS, both of which are developer-facing. Yeah. But, but there are people who, ha- who have done even harder and more useful work than that, and, and, but those are dependencies of dependencies. They're actually transitive dependencies that are not, uh, you know, in people's minds. They don't realize they're using yeah. them, right? Yeah, image magic comes to mind. Yes. It, it's st- tons of stuff is built on top of it, mm-hmm. but it's two guys. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's so many examples of this right, where people don't realize that this stuff is embedded in, in everything. And and so I was thinking, okay, well, how do we get those people to um, you know be able to share in the in this like donation funding yeah. that is happening, right? And uh, so the idea I had was, and this is I'll explain it now, <laughs> was uh, was like, what if we what if we put a uh, fancy console.log into uh, the uh, you know packages so that when you install an open source package right there in your terminal you get this like little log line that would show up that uh, says you know hey this package was brought to you by so and so right some company right and so I thought okay here, here's how I'm gonna do this right so I'm gonna make it as unoff- inoffensive as possible no one could possibly object to this like I'm gonna make it a console.log right very simple very very minimal I'm going to make it a developer, like a company that a lot of developers love. So I worked with Linode and LogRocket, two yeah. companies that I That's think are cool. That's not too bad, yeah. Yeah, they both paid $1,000 each. Okay. Okay. And then, um, and then I made it, uh, you know, uh, part of a major version release. So it was a new version of StandardJS that, that I released with new features, and I put a lot of work into it. And then I added this feature, you know, this add feature as part of that release. And it would only show up if you were installing it. Uh, and, you know, it's a dev tool. So... Users who use standard in their projects wouldn't be kind of passing this this ad on to their users. It's just like when you install it as a developer, you see it, right? Yeah. So I tried to do all these things to make it really inoffensive. There's no ad server being contacted, no analytics being gathered, like extremely simple. People hated it. <laughs> yes. Absolutely hated it. They were like, you know, uh, well, actually, I would say the maintainers who, who open source maintainers who have, 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 you know, kind of knew what I was trying to do with this experiment were very supportive, but like everyone else basically hated it. Yeah. So, you know, there were, there were, um, people on Hacker News and, and Twitter saying, you know, that, that this is, uh, you know, malware and that it's, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, I think there was all kinds of extreme stuff. Someone was like saying, you know, this, I should go to jail for this or something. And I was like, 
how do you figure that? <laughs> yeah, and it's with this like normal users that... No, they weren't even users. That's the other thing. Oh, okay. All the outrage was from basically the concept bothered people. The, and I, I understand it. The terminal is the one space that does not have advertising in it in our lives. It's the yeah. one surface that is free of advertising. And okay. I understand the desire to keep it that way. So I'm yeah. sympathized, but I also I also don't like the way people feel entitled to open source and they don't realize that they're using thousands of packages, you know, work yeah. work done by other people and it's invisible to them, yeah. right? And unless there's a problem. If there if there's if there's a problem, then they're aware yeah. that they're like, Then oh. you open up issues for your to do list, then yeah. then yeah, then you could basically say, Okay, this issue is brought to you by Wild Rocket. <laughs> That's maybe the right place to do it. Yeah. Well, no, pe- people, it's, it's funny because it's like, per, it's a, it's a weird, it's like a perverse incentive where yeah. the better job you do as a maintainer, the fewer bugs you cause for end users, the more invisible you are, right? Yeah. If, if you're, if you're like a deeply nested dependency and you work perfectly, then no one will ever even know that they're using that dependency. But if you cause a, you know, an exception once in a while and you show up in their logs, then they'll definitely make their way to your GitHub repo and they'll find yeah. a way to open an issue. And that will be your one opportunity to actually tell them, Hey, I'm looking for donations, right? So yeah. it's very, it's a bad incentive. Right. Yeah. Now, it, I mean, especially if someone's like, "Hey, I have a problem," and you're asking me for money, mm-hmm. like, "What's this? What is this service that you're you're trying to sort mm-hmm. of pitch me?" And uh, I think of like like Curl is another one that comes to mind. It gets a lot of like when we talk about funding. I've been using Curl for years. Mm-hmm. Never thought about who built or wrote, is maintaining Curl until only a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and it's because Daniel uh, has been on the speaker circuit and like yeah. sharing his story. Right. And uh, I, I hope that he's getting funded well because uh, mm-hmm. he came from a place where he had a full-time job at Mozilla, but he doesn't have a full-time job at Mozilla anymore. So now there's a question like, do I get conference travel to pay me? And yeah, it's anyway, I, I remember that. I remember the pushback and I remember the conversations in the, my, my work slack and everything like that. Cause I think it was prior to me joining GitHub. So previous, like we were just chatting about like, is this right? Is this wrong? I don't know. Like so, like, did you make any money from that? Well, the the I'll tell so I'll tell the inside story. I haven't haven't told this publicly yet. Uh, oh, so you'll get the inside well, you're here story. first. Yeah, <laughs> you'll hear here first. So, um, this the um to the CEO of LogRocket uh, and the and the person who I worked with at Linode who sponsored who, who wanted to do this experiment with me for one month, right, and paid me yeah. to do it. Um, contacted me like like hours after this went live and they said, take it down, take it down because they were getting customers reaching out saying, I can't believe you did this experiment. You know, uh, please, you know, like, you know, stop doing this. And actually I'm going to cancel my service. If you, if you continue to work with for awesomeness. Really? Yeah. So we were actually getting negative ROI from these ads. It was, it was wow. that, that was that negative of a response. So, you know, of course I took the, I took them down. I published a new version. You know, I removed the ads and, and, um, I kept, I mean, obviously they let me keep the, 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 the you know, the 2K that I made, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But what I was more interested in was like just this kind of the whole social kind of experiment of the whole thing, right? Like I basically poked the hornet's nest. Yeah. I said like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to really force you to think about where your open source comes from. Yeah. And, 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 and that's why I think it was still a success, even though, you know, I stopped it after I think like a day or two. It really forced everyone to think about it. Yeah, and but that, that so like you know Nadia Ekbal, yeah, like you, you're probably friends. Like mm-hmm. uh, I worked with Nadia at, at, at GitHub as well, and also remember when she was putting the book together and doing research as well. So like I feel like that book, sorry, not even that book, like the ramp up to the book and like mm-hmm. the conversation that she was happening was getting people thinking about this, and then eventually Nadia friends with Devin Zwiggle, mm-hmm. uh, who launched GitHub sponsors at GitHub. Like now we have, we have the, 
I think it's get up Trance is great. I think there's also still going to be missing stuff in there. But I think now we have the thing where now you're not, no longer paying the 5% because uh, GitHub's not taking a cut. I don't think still yet. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, but, like, have we solved the funding problem at this point? Like, are, are the maintainers still SOL? Mm-hmm. I I don't think it's solved yet. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it it wasn't solved for me. And, 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 and um, you know, I... Um, I don't think it's solved yet. I think GitHub sponsors helps a lot. And I think, you know, those projects that, like I said, the ones that developers use every day, I think they're actually doing a, a lot better now. Yeah. And they're, they're actually getting a decent amount of funds. Um, I think everyone else, like all that sort of behind the work kind of infrastructural stuff, that stuff still is struggling yeah. in my experience. So don't think it's solved. Um, and I, and I also don't, I don't know if it, can be. I mean, I don't know. I've tried so many things. Like that's only one yeah. of the experiences I tried. I don't want, I want to take up the whole interview talking about all the other ones. But like, I just, I'm actually kind of pessimistic now. Yeah. Um, about whether or not it could, you know, whether you could truly be like, whether I, whether I, like I, my dream would be right. You could you could say when I grow up, I want to be an open source maintainer, right? And that could actually be a real, yeah. a, actual reasonable thing that you would you wouldn't tell your kid that's a bad idea. Right. And so you can do it. There's success stories. There's examples of people doing it, but it's, I'd say by and large, it's a thing you should do in addition to something else. It should be yeah. like a, like a hobby or a, yeah, fun, or I got the, the weekends. Thing. I play golf, yeah. uh, which I don't play golf, but if anybody's interested <laughs> you, to teach me, but, uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I think now that you have the, so I obviously get up sponsors exist, open collective tide lift, but now there's like a, I see another trend. So like companies like for like they acquired Webpack and Turbo Repo, and like there's other open source projects that are getting acquired to help sustain those projects and continue to build the future of web. Like, you think that's the future? It's a good question. I I still think those ones are pretty user facing. Like, I yeah. still think you have the problem of, uh, and they, those those also had um, large awareness too. Large yeah. awareness, yeah. I, I mean, that's fine. I think there's there's you know, and maybe maybe that's just what it comes down to. Like, maybe doing like being a solo person who maintains a hundred you know, one-off node libraries is not like a model that, yeah. that is, uh, you know, that you can turn into like a, into a living. Maybe yeah. How it yeah. Is. I would honestly say like, yeah, if you're doing like your, your simple JavaScript or node package, like probably get better at sales. <laughs> I mean, how to, uh, what is it? How to win friends and influence people changed my life. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I did want to shift gears uh, out of the, the sort of funding and talk more about supply chains. Like you're working on socket, Socket.dev. Socket.dev, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So um, Socket.dev is a tool that you can use to evaluate your open source and to detect attacks, supply chain attacks. Yeah. And uh, and it helps you use open source more safely. Uh, and so the context for this is all, of course, like supply chain attacks have been on the rise, right? And so what is a supply chain attack? A supply chain attack is when some package gets compromised in some way. It could be uh, that... The maintainer used a weak password, or maybe the maintainer uh, shared access with uh, a new contributor who turned out to be, you know, uh, a bad person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it could be that the maintainer goes rogue, right, uh, and uh, sort sort of wakes up one day and decides that they want to put, you know, bad software into their package. This continues to happen a little bit more and more now, um, in especially in npm, and there, to the point where there's actually a headline, you know, a headline or two every every month or so about about this, uh, and. Uh, and so, you know, Socket is an attempt to solve this um, and, uh, and to, to take a fresh approach to it. 
Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then the, it's funny because, like, well, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> it's probably serendipitous for you because, like, you worked on the, the funding, you had your own yeah. open source. Uh, and supply chain, like you'd mentioned in passing, that you shipped a new version to remove the ads from from the, uh, mm-hmm. what was it, standard JS yeah. was the one? Standard JS. Yeah. So, like, did you, like, force a new package so that way no one would get that, 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 whatever that version was, would not get that advertisement anymore? Or is that advertisement still there in that version? Uh, so I post, I, I published a new patch version of a package called funding. So I made a separate package with the ad in it called oh, funding. Okay. So I could just, I just remove funding in, and then if you go back and install that old version of uh, standard that has funding as a dependency, yeah. you will get funding, but then that version of funding also has uh, ads removed from it. So it's because of the, it's a loose version range, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's fully removed basically now. Okay. got it. Okay. Yeah. So I was just morning about the supply chain because I know like there's a lot of, issues things of like because I, I helped out with github packages it's more of like content not really actually on the code uh but being able to have trust and validation on like the package that i'm downloading is the one that i'm downloading and not something else and like i'd love to actually talk about some vulnerabilities like it's, there was one late last year around the colors js uh as well as fakers js and folks were surprised to get something that wasn't what they expected to download so like how would socket the dev like prevent this yeah so fundamentally, when you have one of these supply chain attacks, what's going on is there's code added into your open source package that you don't want to be there, right? Yeah. Something about it changed, and it changed in a malicious way, right? And so what, what you might ask yourself is, well, you know, why? Okay, so, so I mean, the simple solution is just read the code, right? Like, yeah. why, are you, why are you adding code into your application that you haven't evaluated. <laughs> you haven't read like, the terms and conditions that you sign, then <laughs> you realize you can only be arbitrated <laughs> right. for being sued at a Walmart right, or giving or up your firstborn child or whatever, yeah. right? So yeah, so it's obviously no one is reading the code and that's partially, that's by design. I mean, the reason why you use open source is because you don't want to be an expert in whatever issue the package is solving for yeah. you, right? You're trying to use open source because you, you, um, you want the problem solved. You want, you want to yeah. have the abstraction provided to you by this package. So you don't want to go and dig into the code. But on the other hand, any dependency that makes its way into your application is part of your app. I mean, it runs in the same process, right? Like that JavaScript code from the dependency and then the code you wrote to yourself. At the end of the day, when you run it, it runs as one application. Yeah. Node.js doesn't care whether the code came from a dependency or whether it came from your app. It's all your app when it's done, right? Yeah. So I think that the mindset shift developers really need to uh, think about is, you know, that the dependency code is the same as your code. It's, it, it, you know, a, a piece of malware in a dependency is just as bad as you going in and writing malware into your own app. I mean, it's fundamentally yeah. the same thing, right? And so what you want to do is, is really look at every line of code. Now, obviously, no one can do that. And so that's where Socket comes in. It says, look, instead of reading every line of code, which is obviously impractical, and instead of doing nothing, which is obviously not sustainable or, or reasonable going forward in this new world with supply chain attacks happening, what if we could do a middle ground? And the middle ground is use automation to look at how the package has evolved over time and point out when a package's, a package's capabilities or its behavior has changed in some way that's significant. Yeah. Right? So in this example you gave of colors, uh, or actually let's use a different example. A uh, simpler example would be um, uh, you know, a package. Um, uh, there was a package last uh, October called UA Parser JS. Yeah. It's a user agent string parser. And uh, you know, one day a new version came out and it had completely different behavior. So it, it started 
uh, it added an install script, which is this NPM feature that lets the maintainer run code immediately on your computer as soon as you install the package. Yeah. And then if you looked at that script and looked at what it did, it would uh, download a, uh, it would first look at your IP address. And if you were in um, a non, um, you, if you weren't in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, or Kazakhstan, then it would download malware onto your computer. Um, kind of an interesting reason why they, why attackers do that why they, why they country scope it is that yeah. usually that indicates that's the country that the attack that the attacker is in because they don't want to antagonize their local law enforcement so yeah. they exclude their countries and the countries that all their team members are in so that they're only attacking other countries right yeah and interesting so, yeah and so and so what they did was they downloaded a cryptocurrency miner onto your computer that would use all your CPU resources and it would also steal your passwords from a hundred different apps on your machine so obviously like we can tell like as, as users like something's really changed about this package i mean it's talking to the network now that it, when yeah. it wasn't before it's reading files it's downloading an executable file right it has an install script all of these are are things about the package that really are meaningfully different and so probably users should not have just like upgraded to that version yeah. without like knowing that 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 that, that, that it changed yeah. in such a big but way but most right? people are not going to look and i mean i don't look when i upgrade a version like sometimes i'll skim through the change log and like oh cool new version of i don't know vite or something that's i'm <laughs> supporting under the hood right. and uh, but that's usually as far as i go uh, but and i don't blame you i mean yeah. i do the same thing like no, that's, I mean, and I, and I mean, I, and I'm now like doing this security company and like, I yeah. was guilty of doing that too. It's just not practical to like, to do that in depth of a, of a, of an evaluation. There are, there some, are some exceptions. There are some companies that, um, you know, uh, have the resources and, uh, and also are in certain industries where, you know, they do de decide to actually have uh, a human review every line of code of their yeah. dependencies. But for most companies and most teams, they just can't do that. And so that's where Socket says, look, come in. With automation and just when you when you get that depend about pull request that's encouraging you to update yeah instead of just like skimming the change log what if we came in and left a really helpful comment that told you hey look this package is now doing these five things that it wasn't doing before that all are really scary and by the way here's also links to the line of code where it's actually doing that yeah so you can go and look at it and say why is this thing downloading an executable file yeah you know? but what's powering that automation are you using like community or looking up security validation vulnerabilities or advisories whatever so, they call those yeah i know so it's actually pretty different than vulnerabilities and you know uh, cves that yeah. uh, people might be familiar with so it's um so a known vulnerability is basically when a maintainer makes a, a bug in their code and then a security researcher finds the bug and writes up a report uh, and then the maintainer fixes it and then that report goes into some database that says you know this package had a bug and if you update to this new version then it won't have the bug anymore that's pretty different than what Socket is doing right now. Socket is, is saying, look, like these databases are mostly not trying to find malware. They're, they're trying to find like accidental bugs. When you have malware, what usually happens is the malware gets added. There's no, it's basically a zero day. There's no warning or, or anything like that yeah. about it. And, uh, and, and usually uh, a CVE isn't published. It's usually just, um, it's usually just like, Someone finds it, and then hopefully they like tell NPM and try to get it taken down pretty yeah. quickly. But during that period of time when it's still on NPM, if you install it, you're just going to get owned, right? You're going to, yeah. you're going to, it's going to be a disaster. And so um, we're we're trying to um, detect that by look at, like actually looking at the code and seeing what it does. So we use static analysis. Yeah. So it's okay. Similar to like you can think of it as a fancier version of like what ESLint is doing. Got right? it. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then the notification you get is that it's a comment on your PR or mm -hmm. 
you know, before you hopefully before you mer merge stuff? Yeah, exactly. So the idea is like we don't want to be annoying and like block the PR, but I think we want to just trust the developer to yeah. like make basically give them the information that they need to actually like make an informed decision about this. So like you were saying, like you <laughs> yeah. like you you were you were you were you were merging it because you you just like looked through the change log and you're like I guess it's fine, but like yeah. what would you do if you had like a little bit of extra info? You'd probably read it and and you'd think about it and you yeah, know, I'd probably like move <laughs> like cancel stuff on my calendar and start uh, <laughs> <laughs> digging into stuff or call up another developer on the team and be like, hey, we should like pair right now. Right. Or just or just like maybe not merge this PR so urgently, like let it sit yeah. for a while and see. Or that, you know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> wait, for, wait for a while and see if there's like a news story tomorrow about, you know. Yeah, and uh, there's like so much uh, to, like, you know, there's a lot that happens around the PR. I know GitHub has spent a lot of effort and interest into like building around the PR through like checks and mm -hmm. GitHub actions and stuff like that. And it makes sense to, at time of PR, also let's check to see that the supply chain's broken a bit, mm -hmm. uh, which is fascinating. So like you'd mentioned, um, so you mentioned, I guess you mentioned this term when you walked in, like protest wear, which I've not heard before. Mm -hmm. um, so like, can you explain like <laughs> the concept of process wear at the yeah. moment? Sure. So, I mean, this is, you can kind of almost think of my funding experiment as a form of protest where actually, I would say. Yeah, I mean, protest not being funded <laughs> yeah, and living off ramen and conference exactly, budget. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, I mean, there's different flavors of this. Uh, the most recent example was quite malicious. So, uh, this, I'll tell people the story of that. So, or I'll tell you because yeah. there's no cameras in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is like TV. Yeah. So the story of, uh, the story of the most recent protest where is, there, um, you know, there's this Russia war in Ukraine happening now, and so a maintainer of a package called Node IPC okay. decided to, uh, you know, use uh, their influence over this package as being, you know, being the maintainer of it to make a statement about, you know, their opinion on the war. Um, a totally understandable thing to want to do, uh, but uh, what the way they did it was they added uh, code into Node IPC uh, that would, uh, when run, it would look at the IP address of the user. And if it's a Russian IP address, it would it would remove all the files on your hard drive. It would RMRF your whole entire drive. <laughs> so yeah, yeah pretty That's very malicious. <laughs> very malicious, yeah, very malicious. And uh, you know the thing is, I mean, you know, I, my personal opinion on this is it's fine to it's fine to want to use your position as an open source maintainer to make a statement. I did the same thing, you know, when my I did my funding, uh, you know, experiment. Um, but this particular form of of uh, making a statement was very destructive because you know. A Russian IP address is a very is a very broad thing. You know, users using a VPN would be affected. Hospitals and schools and all kinds of of, of different you know organizations were were affected by this move. Um, and uh, and so um, you know and and, and it, it, I think it did cross the line into into yeah. to, into being uh, more than just uh, you know um, um, activism, but actually you know malware. Uh, and so uh, you know they they ended up uh, taking it down. I think that NPM might have even forced them to take it down uh, or asked them to take it down. And uh, they replaced it with a kind of milder variant, which which creates a file on your desktop uh, that uh, contains their their message uh, instead. And so it just puts a little txt file there, and uh, you know you can you can read their message that way, which is I think a lot milder of a of a yeah. way to, to. But it still that still accomplishes the job of like you know of raising awareness because people are going to notice a file on their desktop. Yeah. <laughs> right. So and it and it doesn't. Uh, in fact, it might even be more effective. Than just wiping a computer because they won't even know what happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so and so yeah. So that's um, yeah. That's the most recent example of it. Yeah, and like these examples happen, mm -hmm. and I I'm a developer. I write code, <laughs> I, I swear, and but I don't hear about these stories. So mm -hmm. like is like is Socket that Dev bringing more awareness to these things as well? Like, do you have a newsletter or 
like, or is there, is there a newsletter of like security vulnerabilities? <laughs> we should start it. We should, we should actually start one. That's a great idea. Um, we, we're a very small team right now. We're just five people, five yeah. engineers. So none of us do marketing except for, you know, me talking. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you should, you should come and chat on the show more often. Yeah. <laughs> every week we gotcha. Yeah. There's probably something every week to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so no, um, I mean, I think people, um, people are covering it more and more and it, and there, there has been an acceleration and it feels like, you know, there's the, like, there's the, the stuff that happened in October and November where, um, you know, cryptocurrency miners were added. Those packages had 30 million downloads a month, uh, that, that were compromised, which is just mind blowing. Right. Yeah. That's a uh, lot of Ethereum. Yeah. Or yeah. Whatever. It was Monero, I think. <laughs> Monero. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then there is, uh, you know, then there was the the the, the Faker JS Colors JS attack in January, and then there was these protestware attacks, um, and there's there's typo squatting attacks, which is when you know a package has like yeah. one letter off from another package, and you know th- there's there's all kinds of stuff that's happening, and and uh, yeah, a lot of it's invisible, a lot of it gets discovered by a company or or a researcher, and then it gets reported 10 p.m. and it gets taken down, and so I mean I hope we can raise awareness a little bit yeah. and um, help people. I mean I think people just need to think a little bit more before they, they install something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all, that's all we're saying is like, you know, this is going to affect your app in a big way. Not even just if you think of beyond security too, like just the quality of dependencies matters so much. Yeah. Right. The maintenance of them. Are they being taken care of? How many lines of code are you bringing in? Right. How yeah. many bugs are you introducing? How much unreliability are you, are you introducing? Right. It's yeah. all important. So you mentioned your, your entry point into like post-college, you started a startup, uh, you got in the, the JavaScript ecosystem and like, at that time, I just want to make like a, a correlation too, as well, because like the the hammering the point on like you had to pay attention now. Like back in the day, there were so many packages. Like you had like the left pad thing that happened years ago. Uh, that was like a package to literally add padding padding left to to all your your websites, which is it's trivial. I get why folks reach for that so quickly because it's like oh, I don't I can just add left pad on here and now it works forever. But then, like we're we're giving up something mm-hmm. you know, by opting into okay. Now we have the simple package that will solve a problem. But if that that simple package is no longer supported or maintained, or the ads on their 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 CLI doesn't work anymore <laughs> for them, like now you're basically giving up part of your supply chain and your control or security up to somebody for I guess the the, the benefits. So are you, basically what I'm getting at is like. Are we moving away from a space where like we could have simplistic, at least in the JavaScript ecosystem? I don't, I can't speak for other language uh, languages, but simple packages like is that something that we probably should always be concerned with? So I I feel conflicted about this honestly. I think it's nuanced. So you know even that left pad example that you gave, like I actually think people underestimate how complicated that is to implement. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there were all these people on Hacker News posting in the comments saying, "Oh look, I here's like my one line implementation. All those implementations had bugs." It was actually harder than than they realized, and there yeah. were there were there were edge cases that they, they did not think yeah. about. So I mean, I, I think I honestly I think it's a, I mean it's a contrarian uh, take, but I, I really don't think that. Um, I mean, copying and pasting code into your project that might have bugs in it that what you won't find out about because you pasted it in versus if you had added a dependency, you would at least get an update notification and yeah. be able to update to the new version, which might have security fixes or, or um, you know, performance fixes or bug fixes. So I think it's not a clear, it's not like a clear cut thing where I'd say avoid dependencies, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think that's like what Socket's trying to convince people to do. And that's certainly not what I would convince, try to convince people to do, given that yeah. I'm a maintainer of who wrote a lot of those dependencies. So 
what I think is people should just be thoughtful and yeah. think about like the trade-off. There's an actual trade-off that you're making, which is you're using someone else's code. Um, you're getting, you know, um, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of benefits from that. You're getting like the ability to go fast. I mean, think about how quickly people can build stuff today because they can build on the shoulders of, of, of yeah. the backs of, you know, the shoulders of, of I've, I've built so many projects in the last couple of years just by building on top of the React team and yeah. or Next.js or Blitz or whatever. All the frameworks I've learned, I've taken pieces from and learned mm -hmm. and applied to my project, which is like a very clean React app, mm -hmm. but I pick and choose what I want to put into it. Right. Uh, but I, I'm curious, so like perhaps maybe we, maybe we don't discount the, all these packages, but make what if we embrace them? So like there's there's a notion of like I'm gonna use this code because I'm gonna solve a problem really quickly. But as you found, like there's large companies using your your tools that you're like, oh, they could probably like embrace me with money. But I think there it's 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 I don't understand like how folks could work full time engineering, solve a problem, go complain on an issue, and then go back and like roll over in bed and go back to sleep or whatever. Like there's an opportunity there yeah. where companies or even that engineer can help support that community because mm -hmm. that project, whether you decided that or not, like you're part of that community. And if, if we were ever to have insights into communities and like what is being leveraged and how it's being leveraged and who's maintaining it. Uh, Cause like if I find out um, it's not a big deal, but like the Redis creator basically left the project last year, like they've moved on. There's other people to move on to, like in the team, but like if Redis didn't have as much support, and I found that Redis was like, we're done. <laughs> like, no, we, we don't care about what's going on. Like, we're going to go start a new startup, whatever, or start a, a, an actual startup. Well, Redis has money. Anyway, what I'm getting at is, <laughs> like, if I knew someone was leaving very high influential or the project was going to be archived, like, I would move off. And I have to, arc, like, when projects get acquired by companies and disappear because it's being, like, thrown in the GCP for some reason, like, I do migrate off and I do have, like, mm. my my onboard ramp. Like I think um, Heroku just had an issue with security and stuff like that. And it's got people questioning and like all the stuff that's on Heroku, should we move it off or should we keep it there? Like what's going on with Heroku right now? Um, but in, in open source, it's like if it's installed and it works, we'll just, let's just keep chugging along and like raise the next round or something. I don't know. I, I guess what I'm getting at is like, would it be easier if like, I don't know if it's just a socket dev conversation or open source like feature or whatever, but like things like, I'd never even look at licenses. If I install an NPM package, it doesn't even think, I don't, it doesn't cross my mind, but what's the license that this is? <laughs> what impact does this have to my project right. three years down the road? Right. And that arbitrary thing, like the, the, the Facebook licensing thing a couple years ago, um, where they had like this very... Yeah, you, can, you can't sue Facebook if you use yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, if you can't sue Facebook, then what's the point of installing <laughs> React? <laughs> like, I'm not going that far. But... But then that makes that had everybody questioning licenses. And then we sort of forgot about it. And now we're back because like there was this ethical license stuff, like to make sure that every company was doing ethical open source, mm -hmm. uh, which is still around. And there's like ethical open source license, but didn't really take off. But I guess the question is like, whose job is this to like know what's happening in open source? Or do we just like go private and like make private licenses for libraries no I, I don't i don't so that's that's i guess that's why i started socket right i don't yeah. i don't want people to stop trusting open source i don't want people to go backwards and go back to a world where you know they're copying and pasting stack overflow answers into their code bases like that's obviously worse to me yeah i don't i don't think that's better i and i and i and i and i i think that obviously funding people and making them you know have a stake in you know in their open source projects is a great idea right um i 
personally don't see a path to making that happen um, with the current like uh, like kind of set of incentives we have. I think like we talked about before, stuff you know stuff is stuff like GitHub sponsors is helping. But what I think is a good a good like compromise is you. Like we keep the same like model where you use npm, you have all this generative uh, community activity, people yeah. publishing new packages, all this excitement, right? New stuff coming out, people experimenting. Um, npm is basically a big wiki where every page is like a is a you know zip file of code, right? Yeah. And like that's amazing. Look at all the creativity that's come out of that, right? But I think what we need to do is have like a and I'm, I'm, I know I'm biased in saying this because I'm working on Socket, but I think we need a vetting layer, like basically a way to, like we don't want to shut that creativity down. We don't want to stop that. Like that's, like NPM publish being one command is like why like NPM has been so successful and because there's no gatekeepers. So yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's a solution. I don't think gatekeepers is a good idea. And I don't think that, um, you know, using less open source is good either. Yeah. I think that we should keep using open source, but we should just choose better dependencies, right? Choose, yeah. like ask questions and like, use tools to help us figure out when a dependency goes south, right? And catch it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> and honestly, I, I honestly really enjoyed the conversation. Do you want to talk about your stuff? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I sprinkled noticed, it in. Yeah, I sprinkled I heard the sprinkle. Yeah. I mean, so like open source really, like what I want to do is be able to walk into a project. So like I've got to the point where I know I'm using a bunch of stuff and there's like this whole gimmick of in, get involved in open source. First thing you do is look at your package.json. Go contribute to those projects and profit. <laughs> like there's there's no steps after that. So like what open source is trying to do is I want to be able to walk in the repos, find out who's actually contributing in the last like month. Uh, and actually I, I can show you this right here. So this is By the way, are you trying to solve the funding problem? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was gonna say, because I, I I mean I would love to see more people attempt it. And I would so for that reason I would want to encourage you, but I also feel like it's such a it's such a hard problem that I feel like you're almost I feel like doing it's a, yourself if you try to do it. Yeah, it's a that's kind of how I feel. It's a crowded space right now. I think GitHub sponsors is a good first step. Yeah. Uh, and like I've I've been chatting with folks about this idea. So like what open source wants to be is I want to basically validate people who are doing open source. So like we'll be able to look at your your insights and your contributions. And we can develop a score, uh, sort of similar like a credit score. Like we're not gonna like this video will come out and we won't launch this yet, but essentially like kind of like a FICO score. And from there, as an individual contributor, I can say, okay, I've, this is what I've done in the last month. So this is Fig. Fig actually was one of our episodes as well. Uh, command line tool. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. Yeah, they, they actually they had a community contributor add Socket to their directly into Fig. So if you're Installing a package, you get like the score. Oh, nice! Yeah. yeah, that's the their extensions. Their oh, sorry, plugins. Yeah, um, very powerful. But here, I can see like there's a bit there's a bus factor right now, uh, and we chatted about uh, Fedici or Federico, mm -hmm. based in Italy, still in college, but he's doing a lot of work on this one project. So if this person disappears, like then we have two folks who made at least one PR in the last month. So now you can like gauge and be like, there's opportunity for me to participate. Or if I look at like a, a Next.js, like that's going to be a super crowded house because not only do they have like a very, you know, the, it's the, the awareness thing. Like they're not struggling with awareness right now when it comes to Next.js and we all know this. Yeah. But like this is a crowded house where, yes, everybody's doing this, but like now we have another bus factor right here of somebody making tons of changes. So like this is what we're trying to, right now we have charts and data, but we want to provide insights. Uh, so that's what we're working on right now. Uh, so that way you can walk in and see like, oh, look at all these contributors. Look at all the contributors that did not contribute last week or right. last month. 
how do I re-engage? So is, yeah. it, is it for a maintainer to use to, to basically run their project better? Uh, or is it more for a company using open yeah. source? Yeah, I mean, we are targeting companies right now because I think the maintainer conversation is natural and organic already. Um, but companies most likely don't look like for sale. Mm-hmm. So most companies look like what we saw before with the, the three people who are maintaining the project, project of 20,000 stars. Like there's an opportunity for them to engage. So if you're like, hey, we're not getting a lot of engagement. We have a roadmap. We've got PRs. Like maybe we can start a review team and see if we can get reviews and not necessarily get stuff merged in faster, but at least to know like how long does stuff sit around before we get insight from communities and our plugin authors. So we're trying to build more engagement for open source projects by first showing them data. And then ultimately what I want to do is like bring more people into open source. So it's, it's, it's less of the funding problem. Like I do have an idea for that, but I don't want to, I'm not pitching it right now, Right. but it's more about how can I take a developer and convert them into an open source developer? Cause like everybody's writing code, but right. not everybody's actually looking at what packages they're installing or what issues are open. They're just like Googling and hoping for the best. And it's hopefully somebody else asked a question, but there's opportunity in projects like autocomplete to go ask questions. Uh, and there's like obviously some people who stand out stars who they can ask questions directly to. So that's what we're trying to do is like re- later roadmap for folks to introduce themselves in open source. And yeah. we've got a bunch of ideas that I'll say off camera later. <laughs> so if you succeed, then maybe kids will say they want to be open source maintainers yeah. when they grow up. <laughs> that is a way to button up this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, that's the hope. Cause like you could be a superstar. Like no one wanted to do YouTube until yeah. the last five years right. when like all these Minecraft players got, became adults like dream. Yeah. Whoever mom, that guy is. My mom's a kindergarten teacher. And, and when she, um, you know, asks her kids or her students, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? They all say YouTuber or streamer or Minecrafter. That, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's money in it now. Yeah. So like it could be open source. Like we could figure this out. We could figure out how to bring companies. So like the, the you're reaching out to companies, mm-hmm. like we'll be able to do this through open source and say, yeah. Hey company, like you're doing a great job, but like, do you want more people contributing? Do you want more engagement? Cause like right we're now what we're figuring out is open source is a good marketing tactic. It's yeah. like, it, it is your DevRel strategy. It yeah. is like your community engagement. And uh, like, I don't think Vercel would be where they are today without Next.js or Facebook would be as well respected, maybe, I don't know, um, with React. And like, there's always these flagship projects and even Google does tons of open source stuff kind of in an interesting way. But like, they're doing a lot of really good open source and like people can see insights and they can see the code. And like, that becomes, if I, if I learn Go through open source or some Go, like Caddy or some random Go project, and I go interview to work on something and go at another company, like I've now leveled myself up without, you know, taking a training course or whatever it is. But anyway, that's what we're trying to work on. Yeah. And we're, we're happy to continue talking if you're, you're interested. Sure. I, I think there's an interesting partnership between the supply chain thing. Yeah. Uh, and then insights are just like, once you get to the end of that chain, you're like, oh, well, there's no one here. Mm-hmm. And it's this one person from Russia. <laughs> yeah, that was a great conversation. If y'all got insight. Remember, stay saucy. Yeah. <laughs> one of those one of those will work. And when you edit them, you'll be like, okay, Brian, this, this is your outro. Let's, let's not go through all these. Sauce is boss. <laughs> the Secret Sauce of the Podcast produced in-house by OpenSauce, the open source intelligence platform providing insights by the slice. If you're in San Francisco and interested in being a guest on the show, find us on Twitter at SauceOpen. And don't forget to check out OpenSauce at opensauce.pizza.